everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Dr. Movie, where we talk about movies from all over the place, and this one is really from a different place. You know, with the popularity of the newest version of Dune being out there, I didn't think I want to copy everybody else and talk about that one, even though it's cinematically great. Still kind of boring in parts, just like Dune really is. So I figured I'd take another route here. And go to the knockoff movie. You know, you always get these knockoff movies that come out whenever something big is happening. And we've got a movie called Planet Dune. That's right. Let's take all the boring stuff out of the movie and just let's just have a planet where the giant worms are chasing people. It's kind of like Tremors, right? Maybe Tremors was influenced from the story of Dune. Who knows? But that's what we got in this one. And that's what we're going to rock and roll with. So in the standard fashion of these hit-it-quick type movies that follow something that's really popular, it's going to start off with a big action sequence, right? Because you and I both know that when a movie like this kicks off with an action sequence, you're not really going to see anything else happen for the next 20 minutes or so, really before any other action really happens. Uh, what we have here is a couple of guys on the said Planet Dune, and they're loading up apparently some kind of freighter ship. And they're going to jettison back to wherever they're going. All this information doesn't matter, right? Because just know we got people on the planet. They got a buttload of stuff on the ship and they're taking off. It's not really clear yet what it is. The only problem is there's a volcano on the planet. You need one of those, right? And they're worried about it's going to blow up before they can take off. But the, with the volcano reacting, they don't pay attention to the giant worm that sneaks up behind them and, and eats one of them for sure. The second one we're not for sure because it cuts screen, right? So that's your opening scene of these guys getting eaten by the giant worm. And now we meet Lieutenant Young, who is obviously modeled after Captain Kirk because one of the best pilots there is. But she always stays in trouble and doesn't really follow commands very well. So she ends up being punished by doing jobs that are beneath her for the Interstellar Space Command. That's what we're going with here. And she's reporting to Captain Chase, played by Sean Young, who was in the original Dune, uh, or I think it's Sean Young, the, the picture, the poster says it's her, but she actually looks like 1986's Gene Simmons from uh, that movie Never Too Young to Die, you know, Gene Simmons from Kiss. Uh, actually, <laughs> hate to be ugly here, but it really looks like the 1986 Gene Simmons ate Sigourney Weaver. And anyways, these two have a love-hate relationship. And uh, Lieutenant Young is trying to walk a straight and narrow line and get back in her good graces. And we get to see her in action right here. Even after we just had this conversation of coloring inside the lines and walking the straight and narrow, there's a Russian cosmonaut that's out there that's stranded. And Lieutenant Young goes off course and tries to save the guy. And the whole time, the captain is yelling at her that she's not to help the guy and follow instructions. But fortunately, she saves the guy and does the right thing, but at a cost. Because of her actions, she's now set to lead a ragtag team of other people that don't follow instructions and go to Planet Dune. They're going as a search crew to find the party that's missing and bring back the shipment that they left there. So that goes back to the beginning of the movie. So Lieutenant Young goes to meet her new crew, and the captain is with her, and she yells out loud, Astrid, meet your new team. And Astrid is Lieutenant Young's name. Uh, and one of the people in the crew stands up and goes, 
You must be Astrid. Your reputation precedes you. Yeah, she just heard her say that she was Astrid. So obviously these lines were written way out of context of it being an actual scene. It's just one of those scenes where you can tell it just didn't go together well and it, it got a chuckle out of me. And you've got your typical ragtag team here, right? You've got a bunch of misfits. You've got the ship mechanic who's got the chip on the shoulder and she already doesn't like Lieutenant Young. And then you've got the navigator on the ship who's cool and wants to be cool with everybody. And then you get the worthless man of the crew, right? Pretty much just sleeps all the time, kind of pointless. But I guess as, as the movie gets going, you're going to need somebody to sacrifice on Planet Dune. Anyways, they get on the ship and they start taking off. And things are already starting to get heated between the lieutenant and the mechanic. And uh, all of a sudden they have to stop arguing though because they have to navigate through a meteor field. Out of nowhere. So apparently this old ship that they're driving, the navigation is terrible on it, and then it's way off. So, yeah. Then as soon as they get through it, then the mechanic and the lieutenant start arguing again. And then the navigator says, well, the mechanic comes from a long line of military families, and they're by the book. So they can't stand Lieutenant Young because she's shooting from the hip. And when everything calms down, they go look at the damage on the ship. When everybody's away, the lieutenant reaches into her bag and pulls out a little canteen and takes a little sip to calm down her nerves. So now we've established that our lieutenant has a drinking problem. So they get the planet Dune in this crappy ship that they were forced to take. And <laughs> I love how we're flying this ships in space, right? Because we got all this technology. We can navigate through meteor fields and all this stuff. But when they get ready to land, the man on the ship reaches back basically and just pulls on a chain in the cockpit and this huge anchor drops out of the back of the ship and starts dragging on the ground to make the ship land. I guess if you got to cut back somewhere to save some money, it's going to be in building your ship, I guess. And if you think that's weird, suck on this. Because when they land on the planet and they all get out and they're searching around looking for the lost ship and they find it, but they know something's wrong because they don't see any crew, they don't see any people, nothing around. And Lieutenant Young is digging through her backpack, and her flask falls out on the ground. And of course, the mechanic freaks out. And the mechanic picks it up, and she says, what's in this? And she takes a little drink out of it and spits it right back out. And the lieutenant explains to everybody that her great-great-grandmother was a shine runner during Prohibition. So, so you want to talk about a movie that's in the distant future... But it feels like in the actual time frame, this movie is, I don't know, in the future of next week. So if I was you, I'd be on the lookout for those new spaceships they're building down the street. So, of course, this leads to another big confrontation where the whole ship's crew is now freaking out over the captain being an alcoholic. But, as you would expect, it gets broken up by a big sandworm. And it chases after them, and they run into a cave instead of getting back in the ship that's just right there beside them. Which would be a better idea. And this entrance to the cave <laughs> is pretty hilarious because obviously it's not a cave. It's just a big slate rock that's leaning up in the sky and it's got like this perfectly round CGI hole. It, it's almost like Wiley e. Coyote painted it on the side of the road. Remember on like on the Road Runner? That's kind of what it looks like. And when they're looking around in the cave, they find another member of the first ship that was stranded there, which is one of the guys at the beginning that was outside, I believe. And he's hiding in the cave, and he's damaged his leg. So now we got another useless guy in the movie. So now our ladies come up with a plan 
We got one guy that's going to help carry the damaged guy. The lieutenant is going to run and get the worms to chase her while the other two girls go to the abandoned ship and try to get it ready to launch. And I've got to talk about this running scene because lieutenant takes off running and she runs like, you know, when you were a kid, like in second and third grade and you were going to be in a relay race or whatever, and you hold your hand stiff like this and, and you run like this because you think that makes you faster. Yeah, that's exactly what she's doing. It's pretty comical. So the fact that they are drawn to humans on the planet is the equivalent of us looking down and going, man, I'm freaking starving. I'm going to eat these five ants. And while Lieutenant is doing her sprint running, she finds another lady on the planet that's just sitting on some rocks. Nowhere to go. So apparently she was part of that crew, and she is absolutely terrified to get off of this rock. And she also tells us that she's seen four worms. So now we got a whole group of expendables, and it's about time somebody gets knocked off. Now, we cut to the inside of the freighter ship, where the mechanic and the navigator have made it into. And they're inside the ship, running through all of it, and you're hearing noises coming up to the ground, and they're saying that there's a worm underneath, and he's trying to come up through the bottom of the ship. They keep hearing these noises, and it's like the worm is following them around. The only problem is they show an external shot, and the worm is so big, there is no way it could even get part of its body under the ship. It's bigger than the ship. Just a small detail that was missed, I'm sure. Details? Yeah, who cares? But we do find out that the mechanic has another purpose for saving this ship. She's wanting to take the ship because... It's worth $300 billion, so she's been hired by this group to sneak in here, try to get this ship, and steal it, and sell it, and her cut would be $110 million that she gets out of $300 billion. What they're hauling that's worth $300 billion in Earth money from a different planet, who knows? So her plans to rescue the ship are not on the up and up. And then we see where somebody's left one of the main doors open on this ship as well, and one of the worms is trying to come inside, which is, again, physically impossible. But somehow it has shrunk down enough to be a threat. But somehow they shut it off in a room and end up burning it alive by turning on the thrusters. And for some reason, with all this commotion going on, Ronnie, our navigator, somehow gets knocked outside the ship and she takes off running on foot. And the mechanic can't find her, but she needs to go outside and do some repairs on the outside of the ship. Because that's the only way this thing is going to take off. The repairs are outside. And of course, she gets attacked by a worm. And she hits it with a crowbar. <laughs> the worm knocks the crowbar out of her head, and somehow the mechanic grabs some kind of an electric wire and electrocutes the worm. It probably sounded like a good idea on paper, but on film, it's about as exciting as picking out your next pair of socks for the day. And now, under the circumstances, I don't know why it's taken this long, but Lieutenant decides to reach out to the Space Force and ask for some backup and some firepower. And the first thing that the captain asks is, is it the Russians? <laughs> Who would have known that the Russians are still going to be this bad in the near future in the space race? I don't know. Sounds pretty crazy. But no, the lieutenant explains that it's these giant worms. And, and I love this part because as soon as the captain finds out that it's not the Russians, she basically just says, yep, sorry, I can't, I can't help you. You're on your own. But I guess if it was the Russians, they would have given them all the guns they wanted and just come in guns blazing, I guess. 
Nice story writing, team. And we cut back to the two lame duck guys that are still stuck in the cave trying to get out. And it's totally insignificant and nothing really happens except a bunch of dialogue that really could be just taken the wrong way. But they do finally manage to get out. And what would a Dune B-movie ripoff be if you didn't have a scene where some dudes are riding on top of some worms? Well, the same could be said for some German porn, too, I guess. Anyways, it's expected, and it happens. But only for a few seconds, because it's really hard to control a worm with a grappling hook. And the guys lose control of the worm, and it goes slamming into the abandoned ship. And that's where Rebecca, the mechanic, is outside the ship working on it. And the worm just eats her alive, like a locomotive coming out and just gets her and eats her. So finally, we've been waiting for somebody to get killed, and it's her, and we're happy. <laughs> and really, kind of out of nowhere, the guys just kind of show up at the abandoned ship, even though they fell off the worm a long way back. And right before the worm tries to eat Ronnie, the navigator, one of the guys reaches up and hits a button, and it drops a big metal block on top of the worm's head and kills it. How convenient. And we get a bit more dialogue between the stranded lady and the lieutenant here. And we get a whole lot of details about the makeup of these worms and how they operate. I love that we go into all this detail about all these creatures, but we never get one iota of what's so valuable on this planet. But there is nothing that tells us what we need from this planet at all. And why the ships are worth $300 billion. But we're going to tell you exactly the makeup of the skin and the texture of the worms and how they can detect you and why they're after you, the iodine in your blood. It's really like different people wrote different parts of this movie and they just stuck it together and hoped that it all made sense. Anyways, the lieutenant decides that the only way they're going to get out of this is to build a bomb. So we get all MacGyver right here and they're digging through their pouches and finding all this stuff to make a bomb. So now we got the two ladies running from the worms and throwing test tubes with pieces of cloth hanging at them as bombs. Throwing them at the worms and still doing the robot run. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I just crack up every time I see this. So they get back into the actual functioning ship and take off, but the worm grabs a hold of it and keeps slamming it back to the ground. And then the lieutenant has this great idea of jumping off the ship, blowing the ship up, kill the worm which goes against the whole logic of why the worm is chasing them in the first place because wouldn't they if they took off running wouldn't the worm just take off after them too instead of staying there on the ship to get blown up captain chase can't stand by and let all this happen so she goes to her commanding officer and he tells her nope you can't go help so chase just goes and jump into a ship by herself and takes off to planet dune defying her orders and putting her job in jeopardy and then we get a scene of what they call bad acting. Watch this guy right here. When they see the two ladies coming over the dune to the abandoned ship where they're at, I love the fact that this guy couldn't even walk earlier. And so they struggled the whole time to get him along with them. I mean, they spend all this time lowering him down with ropes because he can't walk and all this kind of crap. But when the lady runs up, he can easily hold her whole body weight when he, she just jumps for a reunion hug. And she just jumps up into her arms. So apparently we're down to the last worm. So apparently we're down to the last worm, and it's ready to attack our crew out front of the abandoned ship. And then Chase shows up just in time and blasts it with some lasers from her spaceship to rescue the team. But as expected, as the ship is taking off, the worm jumps up and grabs the ship and keeps it from taking off and destroys one of its thrusters. 
And then luckily, Chase grabs a red suitcase, which has a time diffusion grenade in it. That's right. We're going to just totally make something up that conveniently only works right here. And I love that you see the angle that the worm is holding the ship because the ship is totally unequal. But when Young is running back to throw the time grenade at the worm, she's running on a flat level surface. I mean, she would have to be like climbing to get to this thing. But no, she just runs. No problem. And she just tosses it out the window without the ship being moving back and forth in any direction. And I think the whole point of having a timed hand grenade is that you set the time on it and you throw it and it blows up at a time. But I don't think that ever really happens. Not to mention, Young runs back into the cockpit and Chase is now flying the ship. And then all of a sudden she has, I don't know, a hunger pain. I don't know. They say something hits her in the head and she can no longer fly the ship. So she falls back and lies injured with really no apparent reason why. And now Lieutenant Young is back to flying the ship. So here we go. We're trying to break out of the worm's mouth, and we can't leave because the thrusters aren't strong enough, and they're maxed out. And then Young gets a great idea. You see where this is going, don't you? They're going to use the moonshine to power up the thrusters even more to be able to break out free from the worm's mouth. So she just opens a flask and just starts pouring it right into the fuel you know, not expecting any kind of, I don't know, fire, explosion, anything like that, I guess. And just like you'd expect, the thrusters hit hard one time, and then the hand grenade finally goes off, and they break free. And I forgot to mention that the navigator is flying the ship at this point because Young is the one pouring the, the alcohol into the jet fuel. And so now to add even more suspense and tension, as soon as the worm lets go, the ship is now heading straight for the one and only tall structure on the planet the volcano. But it's not like they're right on top of the volcano. It's still quite a ways off, but they're screaming out, we're headed right for the volcano. And I'm like, I don't know, turn left, turn right. I mean, you got options here. You don't have to pull up. You can just go to the side. And while they're flying right for the volcano, Lieutenant Young is either strangling or trying to revive Captain Chase so she could basically just say, I told you so. Needless to say, they escape the volcano just in time, and right when they're leaving the planet, the head commander comes on the screen and tells Lieutenant Young that the Russian that she saved at the beginning of the movie was not just some random Russian. He was a well-known Russian that a lot of people like, and that she did the right thing, and she was free of all charges. So she is able to now rejoin into the force, and then Lieutenant Young invites everybody on board of the ship to become her new crew. Well, isn't that nice? And that's it. That's Planet Dune, except that I left out the part at the very end where Sting gets killed and Chewbacca finally gets a medal. So this movie is exactly what you think it is. It's a cheap, knockoff, sci-fi channel type movie, special effects flicks. Bad dialogue all the way, but it does have some charm to it. And there are some moments in this movie where I really laughed out loud. And any movie that really makes me laugh out loud, I can't completely crap on. So if you like cheap knockoff movies from time to time, and if any of this sounds interesting to you, then check out Planet Dune. And if you don't, you're not really missing a lot either. That's it for this episode, folks. We will check you later.